Hello, my name is Tyler Chisholm, and welcome to a special episode of Collisions YYC Current and Critical, a focus episode where I sit down with local leaders to discuss the topics of the day. Well, I'm having a good old-fashioned chat here and with Mr. Billy Rideout. How are you doing, Billy? I'm doing great. Thanks. Thanks for joining me on the show today. And as always, we get going and get chatted. And then uh, I don't say we forget to push the record button. But anyways, we pushed it. So now we're going to get we're, we're, we're gonna continue our good old-fashioned chat and let the audience in. So, but you are in the lead at Exergy Solutions. So let's just start off by maybe letting the audience in on a little bit about you, your background, and what's Exergy all about? Sure. Yeah, myself, I'm a chemical engineer by trade. So I, I played in the energy space for quite some time, um, for over 20 years now. And uh, Exergy is a company that we started about five years ago, and uh, we play in the disruptive technology space. So we, we essentially take uh, disruptive technologies, apply them to the energy sector for uh, transformation of that sector. So um, we, want, we know that change needs to happen fast for, uh, for Alberta and, and Western Canada to remain competitive, and uh, we're, we're, we're tackling that challenge. So I'm going to I'm going to make a jump here that five years ago, being 2015, fundamental structural changes in the oil and gas. No coincidence on the timing of the five years ago. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think you know when you look at myself and my personality, I was always the person. I, I worked 17 years at Suncor Energy, and great company, you know, great people, great vision, um, but also you know working in a in a tough sector, right? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the energy sector and the oil sand sector is very capital intensive. Uh, projects need to be cost effective, and and in you know in my in my view the oil sands is ripe for technological change. So a lot of the technologies there were 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 envisioned back in the 60s and 70s, and then they they've improved from that point of view, but not not no game changers, right? I, I kind of usually use 20 to 30 percent improvement over its original kind of intent. So I I I started Exergy to basically. Uh, I guess uh, I was dubbed an entrepreneur, so a person within the company that wanted to make a difference. And then I, I just felt that uh, Exergy, having my own company with uh, with all the right tools and equipment and people, I, I could actually help transform the energy sector from the outside in. That's a powerful mandate. Would you say that obviously twenty years twenty years in the industry and the last five years things have been very different? Like that drive or that willingness or that openness to change, was it just really not there before? Was it kind of, you said, capital capital intensive, we had to minimize risk, not a lot of room for trial and error. Was there a culture of like that maybe lacked, like a culture of not, I want to say anti-innovative, because I know the oil and gas sector has been innovative, but was there just not that that motivation or that drive to make the, maybe the degree of change that, that I'm hoping is there now? Well, it's it's interesting. I mean, a culture in a company is 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 what it's intended to do and whatever the business needs at the time. So I guess early days of when I was in Suncor, Rick George was at the helm and he definitely had a, he had a, a big idea of growth and really developing the oil sands. So his, his mantra was, was definitely growth oriented and creating jobs. Um, and then uh, when it transitioned over to Steve Williams, uh, the, the, the theme had changed to what you call operational excellence, operational discipline. So, you know, they had a pretty big asset base, uh, the, you know, uh, you're, when you're running an energy company, you have hazardous processes there. You're dealing with flammables and, 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 and things that can be high pressures and temperatures. So the shift was towards, uh, you know, running a tight ship, I guess, if that makes sense. And rightly so, because it makes it safer and uh, more productive. And it, but that kind of culture makes it sometimes hard to innovate within that culture because, you know, a creative culture and a 
running a type ship kind of culture is sometimes not the same. Yeah, I can see where uh, things might be at each at odds with each other. Mm -hmm. So challenging to innovate, I, I guess if if I were to summarize that, but different groups and departments within the business obviously were trying really hard to 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 make some gains and and there was a lot of gains made and have been made in the business so you know there you know given the big operation you have to you have to keep running um there, there was still some really big strides made but i mm -hmm. I, I feel we can we can uh, really make some uh, pretty large step change improvements from current current uh, status so since we're starting the company five years ago how have you seen those cultures change or the shift? Is there a more of an openness to it now? Has this reality of this fundamental structural change in the oil and gas resource sector, has it has it forced companies to take a different degree or a different attitude? Like are you seeing it? Is it getting is it getting better when it comes to innovative and to like you said, disruption from we're not going to do it the way we've always done it anymore? Is it getting is it changing? What are you seeing out there? Yeah, there, there definitely is a theme these days. Um, you can see that companies want to take advantage of things like machine learning, artificial intelligence, um, things like augmented reality and virtual reality. It's um, you know typically it's a it's an industry that's slow to adopt technology, um, but uh, there is an appetite for it. Um, and and I, and I think these businesses also wake, want to make themselves interesting to the next generation of workers. So they're also feeling that it's a must need to, you know, to, to make that transformation. That's interesting. I like it when you talk about workforce and it's one thing to have people, it's another thing to have people that are actually excited or want to work in your sector. And if you've got a population that's not attracted to that because it feels out of step or it just feels uncool, like th those are, those are realities about who's your next, who's excited to come work for you. And if there's not a lineup, that's, that can be concerning, especially if things do turn around or when and if, and you know, not getting into crystal ball forecasting here. But um, when you talk about innovation, when you talk about things like AR, AI, machine learning, is what, what's the appetite around cost? Like, so thinking about your company coming to the table going, hey, yeah, we're willing to work with you to try these, these new things. I'm curious, how are companies approaching the cost balance and the expenditure? Is that expected that a company like yours would come in with new ideas? And is it really, is it being looked at as a partnership? Is there still, I guess, are companies willing to be a little bit more, take a little bit more risk of exploring ideas like AI, like machine learning of how it might work for them? Like, what does that look like right now? I'm always curious of that corporate culture of the spend. Yeah. Well, the key, you know, the key is once you start looking at all these cool technology, it could be looked, it could looked at two ways as a toy or as a tool. And, and I think what you, the key word in, 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 in implementing technology is to look for what you call use cases. So, you know, often somebody will put on like a VR headset. They'll say, this is awesome. I, oh, I just, I could be in here all day and have fun. And I'm in the plant, I'm in the facility and I'm chatting with people and I'm, it's like I'm there. But then you have to kind of really tie it to a real business case. So, and that's where the value comes out. So you need to look at how does this make a project better? How does this make a project cheaper? How does this make uh, a facility safer? Um, or, or ready for, you know, to reduce injuries and in, in, in as people work in the facility. So you really got to kind of just decide, well, what are we going to use this for and, and have a bit of a pragmatic view? Cause you could, you could, um, you could spend time in this space without really reaping the benefits. 
So I guess is is are we, are we are we as a sector as a, uh, being disciplined enough of really identifying what problems we're trying to solve before we start running around with technology? Because <laughs> I know that that technology sometimes leads where it should be the problem leads, then the technology is selected afterwards. I've had a few guests on that talk about getting it in the right order to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I think it starts with listening. I mean, the reality is when you look at uh, a facility and you got workers in there, be it an operator or an engineer or a construction worker, at the end of the day, they really are the boots on the ground and they're getting the work done. So, you know, I, you got to make sure that that they're involved and they see, um, it's just like any change, you, you need to make sure that they see the value in it and they want to be involved in it. I mean, and I think more and more though, we're seeing an increase in the desire to use these tools because of the generational change that's afoot. So, mm-hmm. You know, you take a new grad out of school now, I, you know, I kind of look at them as I I don't have all my generations kind of lined up X, Y, Z here, but, uh, (laughs) um, you know, if you look at, I'll call it generation iPad, right? Uh, You know, you got a lot of people that kind of grew up with a smartphone and iPad and, you know, say kids that played Minecraft five, 10 years ago are graduated now and they're like an instrumentation technologist or they're a, or they're a mechanical engineer. They, they kind of lived in that and they kind of expect that as they get into the workforce that, that those things are, are accessible. Um, they see them as, as new age tools and they see them being used elsewhere in the world. So they would like to see that in the energy sector. And is, are you, like, and, is that, and is that happening or is there still a resistance to that's not the way we do it? That's not the way we do it here kind of mindset. Well, I mean, I would say these day and age, the person that the decision maker is probably more of a middle-aged type of person. So they may take a little bit more time to relate with it. Um, so, you know, typically the person that holds the, the decision-making or the purse strings for a project would be uh, a key person, obviously, to implement technology. So I think there's just, uh, you got to get the conversation going. I think the young generation of worker needs to uh, be transparent with what they're looking for and they need to be having those conversations with their employer to say, Hey, why, why aren't we using this? Like, it seems like I found this on, on the internet and it seems like it's, it's a better way of working. And, and, and I, I think generally speaking, like uh, the youth here that are starting in the workforce, they've been dealt a pretty bad hand and, and they need to kind of step up and be, not be, have the courage to ask those questions and, and, and get involved in this transformation. I think they're going to lead it. And um, so you got to get to teach them to own it and to, and to, to be part of, you know, changing these companies to, for the better. Well, and that's a powerful culture that, 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 you know, good ideas can come from anywhere and you actually embrace that concept because it's an easy thing to say again, but really looking all up and down that value chain of your workforce and understanding who's going to have a new idea. And that's the way we've always done it. That doesn't really hold water anymore. I think like that, I think the rug's yeah. been pulled out from under that one on every front. Absolutely. Yeah. So when you think about the different disruptive technologies that are out there, that's it's an easy, again, easy buzzword to throw around. What are you seeing get traction? Is it AI? Is it machine learning? Is it, you know, you mentioned the VR, augmented reality. Is there any specific technologies that you're seeing that are getting maybe a little bit more traction in the resource sector? I think it's situational dependent. I mean, uh, machine learning, I think over AI seems to have a little bit more of use cases, you know, making sensors and data uh, kind of, self-learning sensors and self-learning control process controls so that they kind of improve over time and they're 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 reading many parameters and then they find a way to really optimize the process so machine learning has definitely a a major use case 
Uh, virtual reality, for example, has lots of use cases in, as you're developing projects. Like say you're making a, a building a brand new facility, uh, you can actually have a digital twin of that facility and be in it in a virtual reality world. So you can make sure that that minimizes rework. So when you get to the construction field, you don't have things where you bang your head on or, or the valves are in the right position so that you can actually actuate them. And it's a really, really good design review tool. And then things like augmented reality are really, really good at connecting may somebody behind a desk, which is kind of a way of life these days, people at home behind their, their computer, and then people in the field. So the hands-on workers and say a subject matter expert um, in the head office or at home can actually uh, work with them just like they're there. Um, so I think I would say augmented reality has some enormous potential in all sectors um, as a, uh, you know, remote assist. They call it, they call it, the term is called remote assist. I've been reading a little bit more about that and it feels like, it feels like to me as an outsider looking at it, it's almost like as someone who spends a lot of time at desk, I have this technology in front of me all the time, but then you have someone who's out in the field who's maybe used to having their hand on a wrench, not an iPad to your point. Is the technology now getting at a point that it's getting more and like, is it, are we democratizing it a little bit more where everyone has access to that technology, not just the guy sitting at his desk with everything laid out in front of him on his two big side by side, 24 inch screens. It's very different than the guy who's out at the plant, maybe in adverse weather conditions, getting access to that same level of interaction. Is that kind of leveling up a little bit? Well, the, the devices are getting better and better. Like, I guess if you had your phone from t your, you know, your, your, your smartphone from 10 years ago and the one you have now, it has a way better camera. It has a way better screen and a higher resolution and a better microphone and everything. So, um, you know, Microsoft plays pretty big in this space with their HoloLens lineup. Mm -hmm. um, there's other companies that have uh, more uh, devices that are designed to work outdoors because uh, there's obviously, there's, there's requirements out there we call intrins intrinsically safe, which is a uh, devices that can be used in a in a in an environment where there's potential explosive environments and stuff like that so the the hardware is is close um uh for indoors it's it's there like for augmented reality the indoors we we run the what you call the hololens 2 and it's 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 great it, it's a great virtual assistant for indoors so you know to your point the person on the wrench they're really hands-free you know and then they see kind of a holographic image of of, of something in front of them, or they're actually having a, like a, t a Microsoft Teams call or, or some kind of Zoom chat right right there as they're working. So they're, they're both their hands are free. They're chatting with the expert on the line. Uh, the expert on the other end is seeing what they're seeing. Um, and, you know, it's just like you're there. It's almost better than, you know, being next to that person because um, you don't have to kind of turn around and look at them. You can actually focus on your task and they're right in your, in your, uh, crosshairs, I guess, you know, they're right there with you. So yeah, it's pretty amazing stuff. It is. I've used the HoloLens a couple of times just in, in, in demos and trials. And it, it is amazing how quick your brain just adapts to this is what you're seeing. Like it's it's almost instantaneous in terms yeah. of your of the way the, the human mind can just adapt to these new tools. I find it's, it's almost uncanny how it feels like it's going to be a, a stretch. There's going to be almost an adaptation phase. And it's it's literally instantaneous. Your brain just starts processing the information as it shows up. So I recommend people to, to, to experiment or do some research on it because it is definitely where things are headed. Um, thinking about the resource 
director and thinking about like kind of your you know your your fundamental why of death disruption and we can make this better do you guys do you look at other is there other sectors more industrial leaning that are ahead of us that have been doing that maybe have adopted technology quicker than the resource sector that you look you know i always like to look around the globe and say who can we learn from yeah well, I mean, definitely, I've I've kind of traveled the globe in the last three to four years here, uh, going to additive manufacturing conferences. So basically, additive manufacturing is 3D printing. So here at Exergy, we operate Western Canada's largest additive manufacturing and prototyping space. So, you know, the neat thing about that now it's like it's not like AR, VR, and machine learning. It's a physical. It's a physical thing. You actually print a physical part. Um, so, you know. The, for additive manufacturing, the aerospace industry, uh, the medical industry, uh, dental, um, uh, you know, they've, they've really adapted, you know, automotive, and uh, they've really uh, adopted additive manufacturing in a big way. And, you know, the reason they adopted it faster than, say, the energy sector is it's a good way to make lighter, better parts. So if you have a, an airplane, if you can make it lighter, you can make it more fuel efficient. Yes. And if you can make it and stronger as well. So, and in dental, well, every, every body's different, right? And medical and dental. So you're able to make customizable parts, you know, and, 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 it, and often it's integrated with things like 3D scanning so that you can then like scan the inside of somebody's mouth and then get the crown printed and put in and it fits. And it's, you know, so... Additive manufacturing is is another space where I guess others have adopted it faster. Um, okay. Machine learning and and VR, yeah, I would say obviously the gaming industry. Like for VR, mm -hmm. the gaming industry is just is just like really driving that transformation uh, of virtual reality. So it it depends on on what technology you're looking at. Interesting. So when you talk about additive, I just I found it curious. You're making the actual functional part. This isn't just for prototyping. This isn't just for testing fit and finish. These are actually functional parts. And I've seen it done on a very small scale, just not enough exposure to it at a large level. Like you're really making the part on site and being able to put it put it into use, which stops shipping delays, all those things, depending on the, your situation. That's that blows my mind a little bit. I'll be totally honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Additive changes the world in many ways. Um, one of them is mass customization. So basically what you're used to buying on Amazon, well, imagine clicking a button and typing your name and it shows up at your door with your name engraved in it or or it actually is at the shape, you know, it's in a specific shape or color that you wanted. So mass customization is a big ap application for additive. But, um, you know, it's really, it's what's, what's fascinating, we've been playing in this space for quite some time, is just the freedom of what you call freedom of geometry. So you can make something any shape you want. And, and, and where, where additive is transforming, it's, you know, it, it, well, it's also transforming the supply chain. Like you said, you can make things on premise, but from a making things better point of view, what it does is like, for example, some of the newer, more modern uh, jet aircraft or commercial aircraft, they're much quieter and, um, and they're, you know, and they're uh, way more fuel efficient. Like from, like there wasn't a step change in fuel efficiency in a commercial aircraft until, they started making some 3D printed parts in the engines. And, uh, hmm. you know, I guess planes are getting a bad rap these days with some of the grounded uh, planes, but those are more software-related issues. Um, mm -hmm. But the engines are, are far superior. Um, and uh, a lot of it is attributed to additive manufacturing. So. 
I didn't. Yeah, that's interesting to think about. Just the the high requirements of precision and, and like what a, what a jet engine, the amount of like what happens in that environment to be able to then just three D print it. <laughs> to, not to minimize it, but it sounds it sounds so trivial when you think about the role that that part would play. But if that's the level we're at, like you said, a step change in fuel efficiency because of that, and I would say we're still probably in early days for a lot of these technologies you're talking about. Like the best is is far yet to come. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you know, change is exponential. And now I think the world isn't catching up with the the possibilities really. And in what it needs is a lot of smart people to just understand the problems, take these new tools and, uh, and really uh, find, make better things that just improve the life of individuals. You know, one of our mottos at Exergy here is new tools, new rules. So, so essentially we, now that we have these new set of say disruptive tools, we can disrupt, uh, you know, innovation with them. And, uh, we're, you know, and, and it's, it's a little bit more fun too than, than doing the old school pen and paper. Um, you know, it's a great way to engage the next generation of workers in, 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 in the workforce because they, they want to play with what's next. Well, it feels like you're bringing a level of experimentation, a level of creativity, a level of, you know, back to this, you know, some of the adages around what, what what's AI and machine learning going to do versus what are humans going to do? And that creativity and that out of the box and that judgment and how to overall look at a problem, it's almost leaving more room for humans to do that, which I think they're inherently good at. And it, that you immediately are going to attract an interesting group of individuals, men and women, you know, cultural backgrounds who really want to go in and solve those problems and use some of these, like you said, get excited about it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and it's within reach too, because when you can create yourself and you have all these tools to do this, like you don't, you don't have to kind of visualize sending a design somewhere, getting it made, then it getting shipped and it doesn't fit. Like you're really, really in there. Your hands are, you're really rolling up their sleeves and getting your hands dirty and, and you're learning at a, at a quicker pace as well because you're creating. You know, so I, I have a philosophy that, you know, we always, you know, you see some child, like say you're at a friend's party and there's a kid and he's in the sandbox and he's then he's doing this and that and playing and, and playing with other And just like, and you're always like amazed and telling your friends, oh, like he didn't do, he couldn't do that last week. And, or she couldn't, <laughs> she, yep. she just learned that yesterday. And it's just like, is that, is that possible? She's only like three years old or four years old. And wow, she's playing a game on this and that. And it's just like. Well, there, you know, we always hear, like, we always say, like, for children, their their brains are like sponges. And then as we get older, we kind of like, we, geez, am I any better off than I was last year? I'm not really sure. <laughs> the you know, sponge dries, dries out a little bit. <laughs> the sponge dries out and it hardens. And <laughs> But, um, you know, I'm a believer that it's because we forgot how to play. So, and, and I think as you get older in life, life gets serious, you know, you, you have house and <laughs> possibly does. children and bills to pay and a boss to keep happy and politics and all kinds of things. And, you know, basically, you know, you, you have to kind of get into a different headspace and learn to play again. And, and, you know, what I've found in the last five years running Exergy and in, I guess engaging others in, in work and play or, or making work fun. Um, I've seen them kind of get more excited about things and I've seen them learning, you know, and it's, it's, it's amazing to see adults learn and, and adults grow. And, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's something that we've, I just forgot how to do maybe as we get older. 
That's no, there's the, 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 the play concept and every, and everything around that and, and, and what it means. So curious for, you know, listening to you talk, I want to come work for you just to be clear. But so how has it been for you guys with talent attraction? Like, have you been able to, has that been a challenge for you at all in Alberta? Have you been able to find the people with not only the right, maybe the right skill set, which maybe that you can learn, but with the right mindset to come in to work in an environment that it sounds like it's a very deliberate environment that you're creating. Yeah, no, everything is all quite deliberate. Um, you know, it, it's easy and it's hard. I guess what's easy, what's easy is obviously people want in and people want to want to join the organization. We also we even have some people that join in an internship and they're basically trying out the company and you know uh, seeing if they fit the culture because we have a different culture as well. But it, yeah, I think a lot of people want in. Uh, the other thing with that is that you have to make sure that. There are people that are, we, we need some smart people that are motivated. And sometimes, mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, people have gone through a lot and, and, and they're going through a rough time in life and maybe they're not as motivated or they haven't had the experiences that they, they should have, like maybe, it, it, you know, they didn't uh, actually help their, their, their mom or dad build the deck, you know, and they actually ended no. up, they're no. always just playing with their friends or doing Pokemon or whatever's the hot thing of the day. I know Pokemon's not hot anymore, but, um, you know, <laughs> I, why I from a part of the audience that we have, everyone will know what you mean. <laughs> yeah. We, yeah, we, we need people that can pick up tools, you know, essentially like if, if you can fix your bike, you can probably work here, but if you're, you can fix your car. So, and sometimes, sometimes people, that's an don't, interesting criteria. Their, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. They don't have that skill set. Not everybody has it anymore. I, I grew up in New Brunswick and I, I was in the woods every, you know, building something, uh, like every, every day after school and every weekend I was out there with a hammer building something. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a lost skill for some. No, it's very interesting. And I, I, I consider myself very far. I grew up on a farm in Southern Quebec. So, you know, when you weren't playing, building something, you were in the woods, you were building a fort or, you know, as you got older, you were fixing equipment, you were working with your dad in the garage. And so I, I my, my wife, I'll, I'll do something. She'd be like, how do you know how to do that? I'll be like, well, I grew up on a farm. I'm very thankful for that. I didn't even, I didn't realize at the time, because of course, sometimes when you're young, you resent it because of all the work you need to do. But then the, the life lessons that it teaches you, it's actually, it's, hey, I wouldn't if, trade it for the world. Let's put it that you, way. If you grew up on a farm, will interview you tomorrow that's that's kind of our <laughs> policy I, I mean people that grew up on a farm are, are quite resourceful yes well because you just have like necessity is the mother of all invention right exactly yeah. <laughs> and as my dad always jokes whenever you break down you buy two parts because it's going to break down again and it'll be on a friday afternoon at five o'clock and it's going to rain in a day and you've got to do the heart anyways yes i grew up with those lessons being hammered into me at a very young at a very young age awesome so curious on the sense of the customers the type of people you work with and maybe Maybe as a sense for somebody listening, I'm a mid, I'm a I'm a mid level manager. I'm a senior manager in an oil and gas company. What would you tell a company that's going? You know what? We need to think differently. We need to do things differently. As you kind of come into the room, because I would imagine not everybody's the right fit for you guys. And I don't want to like kind of restrict anyone out. But I guess what are some of those criteria? Or like, where, how does a company start thinking about themselves differently to take advantage of some of the things you're talking about and the philosophies you guys are putting forward? Yeah, like, you know, for example, and I'll just say heavy industry sector in general, it doesn't have to be okay. energy. But if you're, if you're, if you're in heavy industry, and you're building things, we, we, we do a lot in the energy sector. But, you know, there has to be a real will to make that transformation. So, you know, sometimes there's companies and they'll put that on their website. It's like, oh, yeah, we're, 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 we're leading this change. But is there really somebody there? Uh, is there real will to do it? And, you know, is there a department of transformational change? Many, many companies are, are starting to have these groups that are, 
that are leading up that that digitization of their business or you know that making the business more agile or or, or more creative so there has to be a real will because some some companies out there you know the 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 facilities running it's it's making say oil at certain dollars per barrel and it's just about reducing the cost per barrel and that's it um with no real interest in deploying you know cutting edge okay. technology so you have to have that desire to do it and uh and, you know you have to communicate that to your teams and and that's that's probably the criteria number one so, so that the employees are actually actively looking for opportunities to do this and that's, I think that's one of those things that's easy to talk about. It's easy to say, but it's another thing, like you mentioned earlier, to, to run that top down all the way through a culture. Yeah, especially in a culture that's just used to running, you know, to operating. It's 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 it's, it's quite different. Yeah, then the, the status quo of well, well, if it ain't broke, if it ain't if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of mindset, which is not what I'm hearing. It's like no, hey, it's working, but there's going to be a better way. And there's also the reality of like disruption is coming in from the outside now, and like sometimes unpredicted or uncontrolled, uh, unmanaged. Yeah. Is there anywhere where you see companies like really st- strip and trip and fall? And I understand maybe it's the counterpoint to what we just said, but is there any specific like if a company's going to gear up from this? Is like hey, if you don't get a handle on that or get that kind of out of the way, that's going to be a roadblock, or we're going to run headlong into that in the first six months of a project is any any common any common villains that you see yeah i mean again picking the right opportunities or the use cases and and sometimes that's not done correctly and then all of a sudden uh say the the uh initiative fails or was it had lackluster results and then there's less of an appetite to go further so you really need to have that keen eye of where does this apply to the business and you know you have to have that creative slash pragmatic view, which often they don't come together. A creative person just comes up with ideas and ideas and ideas. You, you need to really, you know, use leverage the pragmatic people in the business that that really can can latch on to these things and make them successful. Um, and you have to have a little patience because it's not always going to work the first time. And, and, and often what happens is that, you know, we, we've grown a culture in, in these businesses that don't have an appetite for failure. You know, they're constantly trying to eliminate risk and, 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 and avoid failure. And when this is perceived as a failure, you got to look at a failure as a learning opportunity. You know, some, some companies like, you know, maybe the more the Silicon Valley or the dot-com or the product development companies, they measure failure and they celebrate failure. And, and, and you learn a lot when you, and, and you're not really, changing anything if you're always just trying something that just works anyway like you have to try you have to be bold you have to uh, one of our core or core values at exergy we call it leading the way we 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 have kind of made an expectation that we are bold we are gonna approach the unknown uh, we're gonna try new things and learn from it and then and that's part of transformation that's interesting. From from a, I like what you said about it's it's celebrated and it's measured. And I've had a few guests kind of break it out to me. And they said, "Well, Ty, if you think about the resource sector in Western Canada, large capital expenditures, lives at risk, trial and fail means somebody could die, or or a project could you know dramatically destroy a budget." And they're like, "It just doesn't inherently lend itself, or it hasn't to the mindset of the of the you know fail forward kind of approach because there's too much on on the line." So when you talk about your own company, is there? Do you guys measure failure? Is that something like do you celebrate it when I'm doing my review with my manager and say, "Hey, you experimented in a certain area, or you had a certain amount of your time that was allocated to 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 play." Like, how do you guys measure that? Because it's one thing to talk about; it's another thing to deliberately create a culture around it. 
Yeah, I mean, I, we're still a pretty young company. We're uh, 35 strong right now, and yeah. I would say uh, we don't we haven't adopted a, a big gamut of systems where we measure and track failure and whatnot. But we encourage people to try things. I, I guess we're not that metrics driven yet. So we are, you know, as we grow and scale, we are going to be measuring more things so that we can mm-hmm. understand what we need to do to to grow and and and, and be better. But uh, yeah, we don't we don't measure it, but we encourage it. We encourage that people try things, and and sometimes don't ask for permission. You just try something, and so or, or we don't we don't kind of give somebody a hard time for trying something. If that makes sense. Yeah, well, you leave room for stuff to happen, right? Yeah, exactly. Catching catching somebody doing something wrong doesn't get them to do it twice usually, or it doesn't doesn't inspire that kind of behavior. So when it comes to Calgary, and obviously we're going through a deep economic transformation in Calgary on all levels, from the oil and gas transformation that we're in to COVID, even the last eight months, is there organizations like I guess where's Calgary? supporting that? Like, do you have organizations that you partner with, government programs, grants? I guess, what do you guys have access to? And has is there an ecosystem that supports you in leading this way as well? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Uh, Alberta and Canada in general is a great space to try new things. I mean, we work a lot with uh, organizations such as Alberta Innovates, uh, the national, you know, that's at the, at the uh, provincial level. Uh, the National Research Council. Uh, we work with also these super clusters at the federal level. Uh, we were recipients of a, a what would call NGen, which is next generation manufacturing for some of our uh, additive manufacturing technology, where we're trying to transform the energy sector and the mining sectors. So it's it's a great ecosystem to uh, to to get grants and 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 stuff like that. I mean, we don't try to always take advantage of those systems because I mean, I think there's a lot of that going around right now. We have to kind of learn on our own as well. We uh, have a lot, we have partnerships with major oil and gas companies um, to, to help them with their transformation. A lot of it is actually more in the process technology space. So, you know, really Exergy at the core, we're trying to re-engineer these facilities. And, and that's where we're seeing some real deep desire uh, to partnership and to help them uh, have a better, what I would call more of a better flow sheet. So, so forget using all these cool tools. Um, you know, the way, say, oil sands is processed in a mine extraction way or in an in situ technology way. How do we do it and make a step change improvement? Because, you know, the writing's on the wall. Um, our, our energy sector in Alberta has to get more competitive. We have to lower the costs of capital and production, and we have to lower our greenhouse gas emissions and 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 work deal with things like tailings ponds. So we love to play in that space, and many of our employees are kind of ex, um, you know, uh, oil sands major, and and we're we're creating an environment for them to really you know begin that process transformation. Interesting. It's so, so good to hear. And as I on the show, time and time again, I get to hear familiar names like Alberta Innovates and things that are going on, but there is so many programs out there to support and just sometimes sometimes everybody doesn't know about them. So it's part of just even yeah. getting that out. And they don't just hand out money. They, they also like a little bit of money, but they, they, they give great advice as well. So, I mean, they, they have like business uh, representatives that just kind of also make sure that you, you, you see you can succeed. They give you good business advice. 
You're right. Just giving someone money doesn't always set you up for success. It's, no. it's a good little asterisk to put on to put on top of that. Sometimes you can just dig a deeper hole. Yeah. Uh, curious, even for yourself for inspiration. I guess is there conferences? You said you've been traveling around the world. Where do you guys look to for your inspiration? And like, is it other parts of the world? Is there you know, is it Europe? Is it Asia, South America? Where do you guys go to get inspiration around where these new disruptive technologies are being engaged and kind of the the art of the like the art of the possible kind of road trips? Yeah, I mean, the, the sad thing is. A lot of these conferences have kind of become a uh, uh, you know eliminated from our from our DNA here in the last little while, and they're great learning opportunities. I mean, I I you know I've been to Frankfurt and and, and Chicago and Detroit and additive manufacturing conferences, and yeah, when you have to get out there. I mean, and I, I think generally speaking, Canadians and Albertans like I don't think we get out there enough. We don't we don't go to Europe and Asia enough to see what's next, and I think sometimes we're de- we're dealing with like second third generation technology um like if you go to germany and look at what they're doing in the space of additive manufacturing it'll just blow your mind right and they're doing things that we you know and using and developing products that we might be actually researching right now which is a bit of a waste of money we we need to get out there um i think that's something that's lacking um I mean, a lot of these conferences are still on. They're in this virtual way, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, so I think, and they're, well, they're less expensive too these days because of that. So I would say, um, you know, just get out there and see what, what the possible is. Um, Asia, okay. definitely in the, in the VR, AR space, uh, you know, lots of Asian countries are, are definitely leading the way in that. Any specific ones that you've got on your agenda for the year? Any, any to call out? I always love to give people actionable items when they listen. Go, hey, I'm going to go check that out. Or everyone's sitting in front of their computer or two steps away at, it, at the most to, to punch in and something. Is there any that jump out for you as recommends? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, this is, it sounds like just going to a party here, but uh, one of our employees last year went to Las Vegas to uh, what you call Autodesk University. So Autodesk is a leading uh, player in the 3D modeling and CAD uh, space. Mm-hmm. But it's just kind of a premium conference in North America, and uh, you know what you learn from when you go there is you you meet people, and you, know, you you start to make friends, and and then you're you're kind of back at work trying to tackle a problem, and you just kind of use the phone a friend option. You say, well, geez, I'm going to call up that person that I met in in Vegas, and or 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 in Chicago or or Frankfurt, and then they're they're going to help you through it because it seems like tech is generally a giving, collaborating kind of space. Um, you know, I think what's old school is a lot of talk about intellectual property and not being able to share what you've learned. And, and it, you can tell with the new generation of workers that that's a cultural change that's really going on right now. And, uh, so if you get to make some new friends that you'll learn, you'll learn a thing or two. Well, that sense of abundance is the more I can understand the technology, everyone could still apply it in their own unique way. It, it, that has come up of a little bit at the, you know, Alberta being resource centric, people were fighting for talent. They were fighting for a piece of land. They were fighting first. There was always this, if if I lost something, if you gain something, I lost it. Where when you think of technology, there's an exponential sense of abundance that is a, that's a little bit different. And I've had different guests come on and talk about the different cultures of the tech space versus even the resource sector and no faulting, but it's just been different because it was a sense of, you know, for you to gain, I have to lose where in technology, that's not necessarily as cut and dried as that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause they know it's what, what, you know, it'll come back to them. They'll, they'll, they'll give, and then all of a sudden they'll receive. And it's just, it's, it's just, uh, you know, it, it's, and it's fun to teach somebody something that you've learned and it reinforces it in your mind, you know, that, and it makes you feel proud of what you've done and accomplished. So there's no shame in doing that. Um, 
and 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 it really just helps society progress. You know, then there's I think I think a lot of things are learned again and again, and 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 or sometimes you're trying to solve a problem that has been solved. Um, yeah. <laughs> I I uh, I got this philosophy from a good uh, business coach of mine, and we call it adopt, adapt, develop. So don't always kind of tend to like, well, I'll figure this out. You know, some, somebody else that you know may have already done this and, and, and reach out to them and, and, and ask, uh, you know, tap into other people's skill sets. It's energizing. Yeah. And it's amazing once you, you know, someone gives you their learnings and then the, the ability to build on top of that, it becomes a little bit more exponential versus this finite kind of, kind of minds, the infinite company versus the finite company, even that mindset that's out there. Yeah. Like, like we, a, talked about, we talked about the why at the beginning. I think Simon Sinek's recent is the infinite versus finite kind of concept. Yeah, absolutely. There's all kinds of neat kind of notions and concepts out there that there are is. changing the world. And I, I think, <laughs> I think one example that like just, uh, just recently we've, we've kind of, uh, there's another company that's been looking at trying to eliminate tailings ponds and the oil sands, and and we have this we have this really amazing facility uh, out by uh, it's our we call it our X Lab um, Exergy. We we use this term X Factor, so we have this X Factor and we have our X Lab, and you can see an X in our logo. So there's a backstory to that, but um, you know the, the the fun thing is we like to invite people into our tent and innovate with us. So one company approached us uh, to they wanted to really, they had a potential solution to eliminate tailings ponds. So we're, we basically said, well, here, have at her. Here's a fume hood. Uh, here's a part of our lab. Uh, bring some of your samples and apparatus and let's work on this together. And, uh, you know, it, it's fun. It's fun. Like then we're not out there chasing down these things. We're just kind of, you know, letting people um, into our sandbox, so to speak. And, um and um, yeah, I think we'll get to a solution faster because there's just a lot of brilliant people out there trying to solve the world's problems. Uh, they just need to be enabled. I really respect that you guys are walking, walk, like you're, you're you're walking the talk and actually doing it and inviting people in and kind of breaking that scarcity or that yeah, going at everything with an abundance. We we can do more together. Mindset is it's a very different outcome when you fast forward a couple of years, a couple of years down the road. Mm-hmm. Well, Bill, I'm really, I'm quite inspired by your story. I spent some time on your website and listened to you talk about it, and clearly the the passion and the journey that you were on, even as a as an individual in the space, going, you know what, I think I think we can do better, <laughs> and mm-hmm. I, I appreciate that. There's always that, you know, solve solve a bigger problem. What's the best way if someone is interested? You know, I'm inspired. I might take you up on that interview. Well, after hard to say, we'll talk after. <laughs> but uh, if someone's curious about coming and joining the team, or they want to engage with you, maybe they've got a harebrained scheme, maybe they've got a problem they just haven't been able to solve. What's the best way to get in touch with you guys? I, I, we like to use social media and a lot of professionals, they'll use things like LinkedIn. So you can look up Mm -hmm. our company. You can look at some of our, you know, people on our team, probably look at who you relate the most to. I get a lot of people that cannot connect with me directly in LinkedIn. And I, I just have, I kind of have a pretty busy life, but if they connect with the person in our team that does virtual reality, and then they want to, you know, not just like, Hey, I'm looking for a job. Like, you know, tell us about yourself, you know, like, Oh, I, I implemented a VR system here, or I, I, you know, I won a competition in, uh, in, in, in 3d printing or, or design and, and, and really show that you're, you're, you're energized to make a difference, you know, and specifically in the energy sector, if, if you're, you know, so inclined to, to, to green or to clean up the energy sector and make it more competitive because we do, we do, we play a lot in that space. So, I mean, I, I think that, uh, 
uh, reach out and connect. I mean, we we have uh, our website has a news news page. You can see a lot of the things that we've been doing recently, and you know maybe read up on us and and see see if you if you fit in. Um, like recently, we we made some ventilators for Alberta Health Services, like a total departure from the energy sector. Um, really fascinating story of of agile engineering and and product development. So. You know, if, if if you like to tinker, it's a great space too. Like if, if, if you build things like, you know, and you love to, to have projects or you tear up your motorcycle, or your car and put it back together or not. <laughs> um, it, <it's, laughs> make it better or make leave it in boxes. Well, there's it, two. Yeah, we've both been there. I, I've done a lot of that. Yeah, my, my mom, as <laughs> I grew up, there's a lot of VCRs and toasters and, and things that I said, I'll fix that, mom. Don't worry. <laughs> that's how you yeah you and i had a similar childhood my friend <laughs> lots of projects and some got finished and some were always going to become something awesome and they never did but anyways lots of other stuff did get finished too let's not let's not leave yeah, that's that true. Out. that's true yeah no i got a lot done too i'm sure you did as well <laughs> it was yeah I, I love it that was, it definitely sounds like a tinkerers or like somebody who like a maker it sounds like a maker is a builder's paradise for what you guys are after while simultaneously applying that with really cool like cutting edge tools, but to solve real life problems where you can actually see an impact of your work. That sounds that sounds like it checks a lot of boxes for what motivates people. In my yeah, mind. that's great. That's that's the idea. <laughs> well, well done. Uh, ExergySolutions.com. I'm on your website now. It's got lots of information, so go check it out. Uh, Billy, also find you on LinkedIn. Thank you. Thanks for your time, Tyler. 